did also want to recognize John and Heidi. You guys are up from Virginia. We're glad you're here as well. Happy birthday, Heidi. Well, let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this absolutely glorious day. We bow down in our hearts and we worship you, Father. We thank you for your blessed Son, even the Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the great treasure of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and uh, is the earnest of our inheritance, is our comforter, the paraclete, our guide, our teacher, and we thank you for the conviction that you provide, the illumination in the Word, and regeneration that you open the hearts of dead, sinful, lost men and women, boys and girls. And we're so grateful. And, and that's so many of our testimony here today that at this point in time, you drew us and called us and saved us, and we are redeemed. And we are the children of God through nothing that we have done. In fact, we're the problem. The law of God convicts us because we're lawbreakers and we failed. And it leads us as a great tutor to Jesus. And we cry out, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for saving us. Thank you for the cross, the greatest work ever done by the greatest individual ever walked this earth, our Lord Jesus. And then the third day, Lord, praise God for the bodily resurrection, the living hope that is ours because of Jesus, your ascension, your coronation, your prayers now. And, and then we pray for even so come quickly. We join John and pray, Lord, we know one day will be like no other day when you shall come and we'll get the upward call and we shall be with the Lord. The dead in Christ will rise and those of us who are alive and remain shall be gathered together with them, with the Lord, so shall we ever be. What words? Oh, Lord, what wonderful words of truth. And I thank you, Lord, so much for that. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here today. We ask that uh, you would change every one of us as a result of hearing the Word of God and give us attentiveness. Thank you for the place you provided. Thank you for how you're going to lead us as a body. For we know that the church is not stone and brick and land, though that can be a great tool. It is the body. It is people. It is gifted people given to the Great Commission to make disciples of people of all nations. And we're given that, Lord, and we want to be about our Father's business. And we just are so thankful, Lord, for your leading, your provision. You brought us to this very point, Lord. And continue to lead us forward. And may we keep our eyes, like Peter, fixed upon Jesus. We've said how many times we're simply the little boy with a lunch and, and five loaves and two fishes. It isn't very much. But in the hand of an omnipotent, almighty Lord, it's more than enough. And so we pray that way, Lord, that you would provide. Bless our hearts. Bless and put upon our hearts for that sacrificial offering, Lord. And some can't. We understand that. Some can and some can do a, even a lot more. And Lord, may we, may we evaluate uh, the importance of our church. And, and thank you for the resources, Lord, that you've given to us. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and not able to be with us. John has mentioned Stephanie, and we pray for she and Jared and Jordan. We commit them to you, Lord, and just ask your grace. For those that are traveling and far away, we ask uh, that you bring them back safely, those that are working. Thank you so much. Now, Lord, we pray, open the word. Teach us, Lord, the things, and we'll thank you for it. And, 
and, and change us again, Lord. I pray that way. Save any here that are lost. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when I, when I was a kid growing up in the greater Buffalo, New York area, uh, if you were to flash back, and it's funny how many things you remember, isn't it? They come back to me. So many things that my mom and dad have said, and I have a way of working them into the sermon. And, and then even in, the, in our church there in the city, uh, there on the bulletin, I remember uh, uh, three words. You know, who, who, what was our church and who did we, uh, who did we love and what do we stand for? And, and on the front cover of that bulletin was the book, The Blood, and the Blessed Hope. The book, what's that? That's the Bible, that's right. The book, the blood, that's what? Yeah, the atoning, sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is death on Calvary. What's the blessed hope? Heaven, yes, the blessed hope is heaven, and even more particular, what? What? Yes, uh-huh. It, that's right. The day when the Lord will break through the clouds and gather us unto himself. The blessed hope. Oh, to go without dying. The coming of Christ. That is our expectation. It's not the grave. It's not nothingness. You feel badly about people that in your family and neighborhoods and you work with in the office. And they, they, uh, they know God intuitively. God has stamped it on our being. There's the, the, we all know, know who God is, but, but in our sin and through our sin, there's a suppression of that knowledge and a, 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 a literal brainwashing by the uh, God of the air and the world system that, uh, you know, you really have no reason to being here and uh, you came from nowhere and you're really junk and you're not going anywhere. Oh, thank you very much. I was having a good day until you gave me that thought, you know. <laughs> but I feel so badly for that pessimism that's in the hearts, of, in the culture, and in the education, higher ed. Uh, and God has his people, and he calls them out. And the blessed hope is, you know, I read the end of the book, and we what? We, we win. We win. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, that's, and that's the blessed hope. I mean, it ought to pick you up on the, your most bad, baddest of days. Is baddest the word? Is your baddest of days that Jesus is coming and maybe today. You know, there have been periods of time when the church, men and women in the church, have lived with that expectation more completely than what we do now. And you know what the thing of it is? It's God's blessing that deter us from that. We get occupied with all the things and all the blessings of life. We're not like scratching out, where am I going to eat my next meal? That makes you wholly more consciously aware if the Lord doesn't provide, we're in deep trouble, right? But we got freezers and fridge and IRAs and bank accounts and lands and holdings and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. And, stuff. and, and it's the blessing of the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. But it's, we get distracted from that. And we go like, Lord, uh, you know, life's pretty good. Yeah, even so, I guess, come quickly. Yeah, maybe after my grandkids or, no, Lord, you know. We, and it's, it's the blessing. And, and uh, it just seems to be the way we are, isn't it? And but in tough times, we're like looking up a lot more. You ever notice that hospital beds? They face them up. <laughs> they do. You lay in the hospital bed and you're looking up. I think that's instructive for us to, to realize that and tell your sweetie we're praying for her with that knee. And for you, is your back doing better? No? Not better yet. Okay. 
All right, well, we're continuing in the doctor's gospel. Turn to Luke uh, chapter uh, 17. I've entitled the message, Be Prepared, the King is Coming. Chapter 17, verse 20 to 37. You know, as we wander through this weary old world with all its disappointments and decay, have you noticed that is most of life? Disappointments? Anyone here not been disappointed this week? <laughs> Today? Not today's young yet. All right. And decay? Decay, right? It's not just tooth decay, Mark. It's decay. Your cars look good, but, you know, they're rusting and rotting. Even as they're, we're here, they're out there decaying. Second law of thermodynamics. Things grow to disorder and decay in a fallen world. It's a sad thing, Mike. Every time you build a new house, the first day after, it begins to decay. People don't think of that when they, oh, it smells so good. It's downhill from there, right? It's sort of it's the way it is. And our joints, have you noticed that? How many have got body parts put in? Yeah, well, whoa, raise your hand if you're proud. How about more than one? <laughs> hey, whoa, don't want to do that too much. But <laughs> that's right. Decay and disappointment, right? Deep down, we wonder in the midst of that, will God, when will God, when will God make everything right? And we have the sense that within that, that God has made us to live somewhere free from sorrow and death. We do. We long for a better place where justice is done, where the good guys actually win, where the good guys win, you know, and it's not upside down, a Humpty Dumpty broken world uh, where God is supremely honored, not cursed or ignored, or, you know, people uh, the, uh, damn him, you know, we go like, that makes no sense, you know, that is really, wow, shows the rottenness of the souls that we're born with until God should save us. Well, at times when we feel God forsaken, when our dreams are dashed, and that happens at times, sometimes, uh, and sometimes they're not and they're exceeded, but at times, you know, the loss of a dream, uh, we, uh, or we're afraid of the future, you know, that, that fear, we're timid, we're sheep, Sheep are stupid things, you know. You've got to feel right at home there. We kind of wander off. Their tendency is to, hey, where'd they go? <laughs> timid and afraid. We fall down. We can't even get up. If we fall down in a certain way, when we're afraid, I love that Psalm 50, 56. Do you know Psalm 56? I, I've turned to it a bunch because usually we think of David as the great mighty warrior, right? Slays the Goliath and all that. He never was afraid, right? Read Psalm 56. David writes, when I am afraid, I go like, oh, I, guess, I, guess, I guess it's okay, maybe. And then he puts his trust in the Lord, but he confesses at a point. I, it, it rattled me to that depth. I was afraid, and we're afraid of the future. When evil seems to triumph, righteousness seems irrelevant. What difference does it make? Everybody cheats, everybody this, everybody that, right? right? Doing right doesn't make sense. We ask, when will Jesus' kingdom ever come? When? When will it? I mean, he taught us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. I think it's instructive for us. They, they never said, Lord, you're a great preacher. Teach us how to preach. Never ask that. 
But they, only one thing. They asked, Lord, they had heard him pray, and they'd seen him pray every day. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he did, didn't he? And we call it the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the disciples' prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. He taught us to pray for this coming kingdom, the day when Jesus will come and time as we know it will be no more. Well, this was the burning question, the burning issue in Jesus' day, uh, and so we're not surprised that he is asked by it. And not only that, you might know it, because he in his preaching would say, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. So, so they're like, uh, now they got a chance to go like, and these are Pharisees. We're going to notice in our text, he's going to talk to two groups of people. The first are the Pharisees. They're unbeliever. They're the religious se uh, separatists of the day, the Jews. And they got a question. They're like, ha, 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 Lord, Lord. You ever do that? And so, ha, 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 Lord, Lord. And, uh, and then he, he, had, he's, he answers their question. Then he talks specifically in the bulk of our passage to the disciples unfolding this great perusia, this the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the text, we're going to discover two clarifications about God's kingdom, urging you and me, urging us to be ready for the king's glorious arrival. So let's read the text. Take your Bible. Look at uh, uh, chapter 17 of Luke and verse 20 to the end of the chapter. And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said to them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And now a second group. And then Jesus said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But, the fir but first he must suffer many things, be rejected by this generation." Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Like what? Well, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day, the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rain from heaven and destroyed them all, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop, probably relaxing, it's a flat roof, with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back, go into the house and take his things, is the idea. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you that in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where? Where are they? The idea is, where are they taken, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. In a word, it's a place of death. All right, two clarifications for us 
uh, in this whole business of the blessed hope, the kingdom of God, urging us to be ready. I was a Boy Scout. How many of you were Boy Scouts, right? I know we have some Eagle Scouts even here. We got several. I was, I didn't make it that far. I was a patrol leader, but then I got, uh, we led our patrol to the Girl Scout camp, and I got in a heap of trouble doing that. But Troop 164, what's the Boy Scout model? Be prepared. That's right. You got to be prepared. Be prepared. And that's, it's one thing to be a Boy Scout and be prepared. It's another thing, be prepared for the day of the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's going to be a day. There's going to be a day. And uh, our day is a day we don't think a lot about it. Uh, we can't, I think it was a burnout in the 60s and in the 70s. Some of you remember that? All the uh, great prophetic conferences and charts and books, Hale Lindsey and Salem Kerbin. Incidentally, Salem Kerbin was a member of uh, Faithy's Church in Philadelphia. and wrote the book 666 and, and all. There was a great, uh, a great uh, number of books that were written in conferences. And I almost feel the, felt like it was an, it was an overdue. It was an over, and in the swing of the pendulum, you know, it kind of swings over here, and now we, we hardly hear any eschatological messages on the, the return of Christ, uh, prophecy and future signs and the coming of the Lord. Uh, well, here we are today in our study of Luke, and, he, and the Lord is teaching it. He's on his way to die in Jerusalem, and he's going to answer the question and bring clarification. Well, the first is really a warning in verses 20 and 21, uh, and the warning tells us today, if you refuse the king, you will never enjoy his kingdom. Never, never will you. And in a word, if you get it, it's uh, when the Pharisees come to him and they say, well, where is the kingdom? And he gives this answer. And you go like, well, what, is he playing like a verbal chess here? What's he mean by that? The point is, he's saying is, if you miss me as the king, you're out. You're not in the kingdom. The kingdom is standing in your midst. It's standing uh, right in front of you because the king is standing right here and I'm the door. Don't miss me, is what he's saying in essence. The Pharisees ask, and they, when, when, when? You ever do that? I used to drive my dad crazy, and then I got driven crazy with my kids on a trip a thousand times. You know, you're going to go on a trip. I remember we drove the trip to South Florida once a long time ago from Indiana, and we got started out. Kids were little. It was going to be a 24-hour drive. We were going to go around the clock. If we could make it, Faith, he spelled me a point. And we were like 100 miles, and the kids started. Dad, when? Dad, when? Dad, when? Dad, when? <laughs> I thought I was going to lose my mind. Dad, when? Well, that the Pharisees bring that when, that when question. When would God's kingdom come? It doesn't seem to be a... A trick question from their lips. I mean, sometimes they, they do that. You know that. They're trying to set them up, you know. Uh, and, and he answers so uh, wonderfully there, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar. And, and they didn't know how to. But this does not seem to be a trick question at all. It merely reflected the longing that all of us have for a time when everything will finally be okay. Aren't you anxious for that? I am. I really, really long for that day when, when everything will be okay. I mean, there's that uh, a little a mother who rocks her little baby, and the baby's maybe teething or something, or has some pain, 
And uh, the mama expresses this, whether she realizes it or not, when she goes, no, no, honey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, as she thinks about the pain of sewaging and, uh, and the baby feeling better or sleeping in the future, uh, in a small way expressed. And we, it's going to be okay. That day when it's finally going to be okay, when paradise lost will finally be regained and the kingdom come that we've been taught to pray for. You see, the Pharisees' faulty misconception was that God's kingdom would be preceded by cosmic signs. The Lord's humble presence, and it was humble. You know, there was nothing that, that commended him. You didn't look at him and say, wow, he looks like John F. Kennedy. He, he ought to be president. He's certainly not sweating like Tricky Dick Nixon did in the, uh, in the debates. And some of you are watching the debates on all that. Uh, but uh, he looks like there was nothing about the Lord in his human humble appearance that you thought he's the king. He's the king of kings. And so they were thinking past it. They weren't looking at all he was teaching and all that he was doing. And, they, and they, they had taught among themselves, well, when he comes, it'll be preceded by, you know, glorious signs in the heavens and all of that and the fanfare, the pomp and circumstance that befits his glory and honor. He came in his humility and they didn't see that. And they were blinded due to their sin and the rejection of what he was actually saying. He, uh, and so on. Furthermore, they thought uh, of, of his coming, uh, the future coming of the king as local, that he's, uh, you know, he's over here, he's there, where is he, rather than universal and all people seeing him. We see that uh, expressed. He's here, but he's not there, that kind of thing. Well, Jesus corrects their wrong notions by, by warning them, don't miss, don't miss it. Don't miss him. He is the king of kings in verse 21. He answered, he tells them that the, the kingdom is in the ver your very midst. So don't go looking for it. The idea is since the king is in their midst, the kingdom is right here. There is a sense when uh, the, uh, the, the head of state uh, uh, travels that uh, in a sense, symbolically, figuratively, uh, that man or woman, depending, uh, represents uh, uh, Merkel when she travels around. She represents Germany, you see. Uh, or uh, our president, when he travels around in other places, he represents the United States. That's why, incidentally, on the side here, the attack on, the, on uh, uh, an ambassador in Libya was, is a horrific event. It's an attack. He represents the United States. He personally represents the president there in Libya. And, and to have such a terror... Uh, a terrorizing event take place is a is a direct. It's no different than the than a 9/11 attack in New York City or out in the, uh, the what happened in the in the cornfields in Western PA. A direct attack because in the very presence of that national leader or that state leader or governor, in the case of a state or a commonwealth, they represent the totality of that. And, the, and there is a sense where the Lord is saying, look, I am the king, I represent all of the kingdom, and I am more than that, I'm the door to the kingdom. They're like, where are the signs? Is it the 4th of July? Are we going to see, you know, the, this and that and every other thing? And wait a minute, you're missing it. All they need to do is respond to Jesus and, and find its presence and, and, and benefits. Um, and so on. The way to God's kingdom is through Jesus. 
He is the door. Don't you love that? The good shepherd discourse there in John 10, where the Lord says, I am the good shepherd. Then he says, I am the door. It reminds us that he's the door to salvation. And so many of you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've come confessing your sin, that you're lost, and that you deserve hell instantly, and that God has brought you to your knees, your contrition, you've confessed sin and received Christ, and God has opened the door, opened the door through Jesus, the great shepherd. And you've been saved from the penalty of your sin through the death on, uh, of, his, of him on, on the, that wonderful cross, wonderful in the way that it paid the atoning sacrifice, horrible in what happened there, of course. He is the door. He is the way. So in Jesus, they are standing looking at the door to the kingdom is the idea. They can't see it. They can't see it. I don't know about you. Uh, uh, your eyes getting better? And the years, uh, mine are. And I, I had an appointment this uh, last week or the week before, this past week, uh, with, with, uh, with the uh, ophthalmologist. And uh, Todd said to me, yep, yep. He said, you got cataracts beginning. Cataracts. Oh, great. Wonderful. That's good. Well, I, they're going to develop very slowly. And uh, maybe you won't have to see me for a couple of years you know, Faithy already had hers uh, done last year. She's ahead of me on that. And, and so I go, oh, great. And I said, I, well, we'll take care of that. Don't worry about that. You'll be able to see. These Pharisees were standing looking at the door to the kingdom going like, where's the kingdom? They couldn't, they're completely spiritually blind. Blind. They are blind. And uh, he's not referring to, there are some that say, well, he, uh, the, the kingdom is really uh, figurative. It's spiritual. And that's the totality of it. Uh, it can't be that because he is saying to these Pharisees who are unbelievers here at this point that the kingdom uh, of God and the King James translate is in your midst, that it's sort of in you. Well, it's not in them. They're, they're lost at this point. That's not what he's referring to, a spiritual uh, totality. Uh, there's going to be a literal fulfillment and the righting of wrong and the glory of a millennial age a glorified kingdom, if you're not into a thousand years, then it's the universal kingdom forever where it's all righted and changed and there's no tears and death and no more funerals and all of that. But that golden age when paradise lost will be found, they're standing right in front of the king and can't even see it. Spiritual blinders. You know, it's a reminder. As you and I share the gospel with people, they can't see the glory of Jesus, you know? They don't see the glory. The God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, has blinded their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, so they cannot see. And what they need to do is see in you, Jesus, and see in me, uh, the way we respond in that Jesus' love through the Spirit flows through us and we care about people, then they'll perhaps hear what we have to say. Maybe then hear uh, the, the, what the Scriptures say in presenting the, the Lord Jesus to Because they're blinded. I saw it in my own home where uh, my mother was burdened to raise all the kids in Sunday school, and it was quite a task. I was second of seven, and for her to get ready. And my father was lost, a good man, as the world would say good, but lost, had no interest in spiritual things. 
and uh, the burden was on her to get everybody ready, and we would talk about everything around our table. I grew up in a family. Dinner was an hour too long. We talked politics, business, what's happening, school, athletics, all the whole bit. Never did we talk around our dinner table about the Word of God, the gospel, the things that are precious to and wonderful, because my father was there, and he didn't care to talk about that. He was blind. And you were blind until you came to Christ, and God tore the blinders off. You know the text says, I was once blind, but now I see. Remember that when Jesus healed the man born blind? Spiritually, that's what all of us, spiritually, that's what these uh, Pharisees are. They're blind. They're looking at the glorious Son of God. They can't even see Him. They can't see Him. And just come back and let me finish that. After my father was saved, that last week he lived, and even though he was sick, and God opened his heart and saved him, and my mother loves to recount, your father said, we were talking about things that it was like, he said, like, I didn't know, it was Christmas time, he goes like, I didn't know that, that Mary was a virgin when she, and my mother goes like, how can that be, Ed? I mean, we've sang the Christmas songs forever and ever and ever, he said, uh, I, I never, never saw it. And there you go. To me, that will always stand as a, as, a, as a dramatic picture of the blindness of our hearts before a man or woman comes to know Jesus. They can be standing, looking right at the cross, looking at the wonder of Jesus, lost, blind, dead, on their way to hell, and they can't see it until the Spirit of God regenerates them and opens their heart, and faith comes by what? And hearing the Word of God. It's through the Scriptures, not your magical personality, though that can help. If you're abrasive, that doesn't help, you know. Uh, so ask God, make me kind, loving, gentle, fruit of the Spirit type thing. And people may ask, what is this hope that lies within you? And we'll get the joy of getting to know them. Well, in a sense, Jesus is telling him, what, the signs of the present uh, he's telling them to read the signs of the present time correctly. Recognize the king who inaugurates the kingdom. I mean, didn't they just see ten lepers healed? I mean, <laughs> like, what, you think, I mean, it's just blind. That's what you have to walk away with here and see this clearly. Well, the same thing's true today. The deal with God, uh, you, uh, all people everywhere, everyone must go through Jesus to enter the courts and the blessings of heaven. And if you've been saved from your sin, have you been saved from your sin? Have you received Christ the Lord as your Savior? Maybe, maybe and, and I wish all eyes would turn a certain kind of chartreuse or something. You know, like, oh yeah, you're in, you're in, you're in, you're in. Some of us act very unsaved a lot, right? We're growing in grace, a sanctification, and you know, like, and like uh, you know, it'd be so nice, but are you saved? You know, have you, whether young or old, trusted Jesus? He is the only way. It's not Mohammed. I just spent just short of a three, uh, th uh, three weeks in, in the Arabian Desert ministering to the expat church there. And they talk a lot about Mohammed and all the crying prayer towers and all that. Not Mohammed. He's dead. He's gone. He's, as far as I know, lost forever, that man. That's, that's a great satanic blight that we're still dealing with. And even to the end of time, I'm sure we will. It's Jesus. Only Jesus. It's only him. Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? I'm, I'm reminded today is the day of salvation. Don't miss out. Come to the King. Come to the Lord today. 
the door is still open. Ever get to some place where the, where the door is shut and you had a ticket and you missed it? I was talking to my good friend, Dr. Uh, um, um, <laughs> Lenny Ackerman, uh, my swimming cohort at the Y, and uh, he said to me, hey, I missed, he said, I missed the uh, concert at the Hershey uh, Theater. I said, well, how did, that, how did that happen, Lenny? He said, well, you know, I went there, I planned to get there. <laughs> I went there, went, I drove over, and I got there early, and I parked. And he says, I don't know, I was so tired, I fell asleep. <laughs> I, fell, I said, yeah, he said, and then when I woke up, it was like quarter to ten, and I went to the theater door, <laughs> it was locked. There was no, and I realized I missed the whole thing. I said, well, did you call? Well, they won't let me have another ticket. It was for a signed seat, and I, I miss it. Oh, it's one thing to miss a concert. I think he was going down to see that Frank Sinatra thing, whatever that was. And uh, old Blue Eyes, he told me how much he loved his music. But uh, one thing to miss a concert, don't miss heaven. I mean, the door is open, and someday soon that door is shut. That's, I mean, that's real stuff. Or, you know, life is uncertain. It is uncertain. You know, Larry said, you know, I was emailing you. You weren't responding. He didn't realize I was in Cutter. I said, yeah, you probably thought I got hit by a bus. I say that a lot to my kids. You know, we think I stepped off the curb and you hit by a bus. Dad, why do you always say that? Why? Because I read the papers. I see that stuff happens. Holy cow, the uncertainty. You know, we think, well, we're all going to live to be 100. Well... Probably, probably not, and I think the Lord will be here soon. It's a warning. Today, if you refuse the king, you'll never, never enjoy. He's the door. Come to Jesus. Well, the second uh, clarification about this kingdom of God urging us to be ready, ready is uh, really an encouragement. You and I are encouraged to endure to the end. God's elect endure to the end. That's when Jesus consummates uh, his kingdom. Uh, don't be surprised. You know, the Lord is telling us here, don't be surprised that times are going to be hard and tough. Uh, don't be surprised. Increasingly, it's going to feel like a pressure cooker as it comes to the end. In another place, the Lord talks about some of you ladies have had babies, and you realize the fun of the, uh, the birth pains, and the Lord uses that example uh, of uh, they get closer and closer and closer. That means it's not Hershey Park. Oh, this is more and more fun. No, the pangs more and more stress and pressure as we wait and look for the day of the coming of the Lord. That's what he's talking. Times will be hard. The king may be in their midst. In other words, he's standing in front of them, but his presence does not mean in that day that the Son of Man's glorious coming has occurred. It's still future. Judgment is coming. And so the answer of this kingdom is, yes, it's already. Why? The king is standing there, right? He's the door. And, and yet, uh, not yet. Already, the king's there, but not yet. It's coming yet. The full fulfillment of this glorious coming uh, of the king of kings. And when he comes, he is called in Daniel 7, the son of man. It's still future. And when he comes, he will bring judgment, and it will be too late. Some people say, well, I'll wait to see if it happens, and I'll trust the Lord. It's too late. The door shut at that point. The door, it's too late. It's too late. Too late. 
no manana there. A lot of people say, well, hey, maybe tomorrow, you know, manana. No, too late. Today is the day. Well, Jesus now turns and speaks to his disciples in verse 22. He said, the days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, as Daniel 7 reference, and you will not see it. You're going to yearn and look and wait and long for that. He's speaking to his disciples who are regenerate, who are the foundation of church. He's speaking to the church here. You're going to yearn. He's speaking, and perhaps it might even be to the redeemed nation of Israel during that tribulation period if you, if you hold a pre-trib, pre-mill uh, persuasion on that. Uh, he is looking ahead uh, to uh, those that would receive the gospel from, from them. He said, you're going to yearn for me to come. And, and, and I would say that's where we are. He speaks of telling him that the, his future coming would be both sudden and visible. Sudden and visible, not gradual. People used to say, scoffing at the Bible, how will all people see the coming of, of Jesus? And, and now we know, don't we? I mean, it's incredible what happens in faraway places, and it's on our TV set in a matter of, of minutes. And uh, it will be, and, 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 and as technology increasingly develops, I don't know where it'll go, but the visible, be able to see where the Lord is coming and returns there on the Mount of Olives, you know, that's where he's going to return. Where he left from, he'll return. I've stood there numbers of time and looked up and imagined that. I looked at the city. And, that's where, and all the world will see that. It will, he will come suddenly like lightning and all will see him. This idea of lightning is suddenness. You ever been out in a storm, in a lightning storm? They're scary, aren't they? I heard the other day, do you hear that lightning? God, and I said to son, God's bowling in heaven, or somebody is, you know, and the, and, the, and the thundering and the lightning. You ever been out and you count the seconds? You know, and say, well, that's a mile away, one, one thousand, two, one thousand. You ever have that happen? Oh, it's a mile away, and, and then all of a sudden, zap, and one there, bang, you're like, there's, I think it's behind the tree over there, and we better hit the ground or do something. I mean, it comes fast, unexpectedly, with power and brilliancy, and that's the idea here. I once had a, I thought of you, Ron, on this, in Rob. Uh, in Indiana, we had, uh, we had trouble with our uh, two-ton air conditioning unit, and I'll never forget the man that came out to work on it. The guy wasn't right. I, that's not a medical opinion, but it doesn't matter. He wasn't right. And then I, I, got, I was standing outside kind of watching him doing that, and he, be, he proceeded to tell me, and it made sense. He said, you know, I've been, he was kind of proud of it. I've been hit by lightning twice. And I go, like, I never talked to anyone who was ever hit once, let alone twice. I said, you got to tell me about it. He says, well, I was out fishing out there, and it was coming, but I didn't, uh, I thought I still had time, and they were really biting. And uh, I, if I recall, uh, both times, just, you'd think he'd give up his fishing pole or something, you know. <laughs> But he wasn't right anyway. But he was there and he fixed it and it works. So something still, you know, it's a scary thing. And that's the, the Lord says, this, you want to know how I'm going to, you don't have to wonder where is it. It's going to come and you're all going to see it and it's going to come with power and glory and brilliancy. But before that happens and the Lord goes to, uh, uh, and he says, and B, Jesus first points to his death. He wants them always to remember that um, uh, his death is the cornerstone of the of the whole of the whole uh, the whole deal there. That's what he's talking about uh, when he says in verse 25. But first, 
I want to remind you, and this is the fifth time now in Luke, he is forewarning of his coming crucifixion and death. But first, he, meaning himself, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He never wants the disciples to forget it's the cross and only the cross. That's the ground of salvation. That's the whole, that's the whole thing that, that makes salvation possible, that God poured his holy wrath on his own son on that tree during six hours on that day uh, there outside of Jerusalem. But first, I must have to suffer first. They didn't quite get it yet, did they? We know a little bit further here, they're still kind of like dazed, what's going on? And they ski and they scatter and all that. We'll see that later, but he points to that. Jesus then looks far off into the future to the time of his return, and he describes the condition on earth. In essence, he tells that he'll return from heaven in the midst of a very godless period similar to the days of Noah and Lot, verses 26 through 30. And both of these reveal how unexpected his coming will be. Now, just take a step back, and, and when we look at verse 26 and following, just as it was in the days of Noah, that answers forever. Lord, uh, what do you think about the historicity of this guy named Noah? You know, like, oh, it's a figment of someone's imagination, or these are fanciful stories, given this uh, weekend he had some spiritual lesson. Uh, no, the Lord didn't mess with any of that. He put his imprimatur on it. He said, you know what? There really was a man named Noah. There really was an antediluvian world, a pre-flood world that was destroyed except for eight people. And a man named Noah and his sons built an ark for 120 years to the saving of their families and to the land-dwelling, earth-breathing animals, two of each kind, uh, were saved on that universal deluge. It answers once and forever the, uh, the questioning, did the Lord uh, have an opinion on Noah, or is this somehow we just spiritualize this? And uh, if, if so, then I say, you know, if the Lord is wrong, or if he didn't, then, then just don't ever come back to grace, throw your Bibles in the trash. Uh, to me, it's not a smorgasbord. Some of you are going to have a smorgasbord after you're going to pick and choose. I'll take another piece of pizza and some salad. I like the pepperoni. The Word of God is the Word of God. It's a unit. You can't take it away. There's a judgment pronounced. You can't add to it. Read the last chapter. You'll see. Uh, it is the Word of God, and it stands. In Jesus' Word, there was a real Noah. There was a real Lot. Answers that forever. And the, His coming is going to be, uh, according to the text, uh, in such a day. They were what? In the days of Noah? The text tells us they, on, on the day, the day when he entered the ark, he's specifying they're eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage, doing all the things of life, and that's what it's going to be like uh, in the last day, the day when finally Jesus comes. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. Destroyed them, every last one of them eating, drinking, marrying, but never repenting of their sin or putting their faith in God and the salvation. And then the day of judgment fell. Boom! There it was. Well, they weren't expecting that. They never heard of rain. Rain, what's that? It's going to rain. Oh, that old crackpot over there. And the world that was, Peter says, perished, buried. The world that was, it probably was a very tropical world. In fact, you know the natural gas and the oils and the coals all come from carbon sources. Do you know that? 
living uh, jungles and trees and, and, and some marine and animal life, smashed and buried under sedimentary as the water sewaged and, when, and, the, and, the, and the oceans deepened and the, and the land raised up and the water ran off after the flood and buried underneath that sediment was the, was the vegetation and life carbon. Whenever you hear the word carbon, you may have flunked chemistry, but carbon equals life. It means it once lived. That natural gas comes from things that were once living that have been, uh, have been uh, rotting and uh, curing, if you will. I'm not sure the right petrochemical word. I have to ask Bob Albright for that. But, but there they were, natural gas, oil. You can drive your car because of stuff that lived prior. You say, how does that all fit? That's where it came from. In the coal, all that came from all of that. It was smashed and buried. Never hear people ever talking about that. What's down about a mile or so, or even less than that in a lot of places, the carbon field of that world that was destroyed uh, in Genesis chapter 7 and 8. You can check it out. They were totally unprepared. Unprepared. We will never forget in our lifetime. 9-11, uh, will we? How could we ever forget that? It was a day like this. The sun was just like that. Here, I remember that. I, I had run an errand, and then I had stopped and got a cup of coffee, and I was at the coffee shop, and they had a little TV on there. They were like showing New York City, and they're showing, and, they're like, and they were saying, they think a little plane went into uh, the South Tower or one of the, I'm not sure which one. And I'm like, what, what is that? You remember that? And then, uh, like, we were kind of focused on that, and then I came driving down the pike, and uh, I had on my radio, and, the, and then all of a sudden they announced the, the, the tower, was it the South Tower got hit first? Anybody remember? It, it, and it totally collapsed, and they, they said it was a, I don't know about you, but I was trying, all of a sudden, my, I just tears started falling from my eyes. I was, like, in total... There were people that morning that got up at 5, 5.30. I know your Daniel was right. You, you went driving over to Manhattan or to get him. And uh, people got up that morning like any other morning, brushed their teeth, got their coffee, got the kids going, got their, went to, took the subway, drove in, and went to the, uh, uh, to the towers. Uh, maybe they were on the cell phone, riding the elevator, having a meeting, making scheduling. Normal day, just like normal. That's the idea. Normal day, normal day. And boom, their life was, who would have thought? You tell them that this morning. Hey, while you're getting your cologne on, you just shaved, you know, after shave, you know you're going to try and jump out of a 90-story building today. You go like, what is wrong with you? You know? I mean, that's the imagery here. A flash of light, suddenly, unexpectedly, with brilliancy and power, that will be the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the Lord's own words. Just like that final day came. It's already laid out. The Lord isn't like, gee, I wonder if I ought to do that like in December. No, let's do it. It's already ordained. God has ordained history. It's his story. And, and so he wants us to know, just like that day, they, uh, the day of 9-11, when people, so many, were not prepared for uh, their death, uh, in the day of Noah, the same way, the same thing with Lot. The second example he gives, Lot and his wife, in the midst of their daily lives, without warning, judgment fell upon the five cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and, and he goes on to give even more details 
uh, in Lot's situation when the fire and the sulfur rain from heaven destroyed them. He's referring to Genesis 19. So it will be on the day, it's a specific day, when the Son of Man uh, is revealed. That when he comes, the revealed is his coming. And on that day, let one who is on the housetop relaxing in the sun, having a nice uh, iced tea or something with uh, some chips, with his goods in his house, may, well, on that day, don't, even, don't bother coming down to take any of your goods away. You know, on that day, you won't need any of the stuff that you've accumulated. Nothing. It means nothing. You say, well, wait a minute. I got, I got a favorite something. Forget it. Forget it. Stuff. The stuff we fill our lives with and sometimes robs from the place of, of God in our life. Forget it, he said. Just leave it. Uh, and if you're out in the field working, don't go home and get your stuff. Don't, just forget it. It's gone. It's going to all burn up. And then he says the words, and this is the second shortest verse in the Bible. What's the shortest? Yeah, where's that found? I can't, I can't argue. John 11, 35, right. And this is the second, uh, uh, this is in so instruct. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. And uh, wow, what does that mean? That's a great warning for you and for me. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, in writing about Lot's wife, had a whole sermon on that verse. And uh, he said, she is such a negative example for us to learn. Why? Almost saved, but not quite. Almost saved. I mean, she's come out of Sodom. Angels are holding on. Don't look back. Don't look back. What's she looking back at? It wasn't where her eyes looked necessarily. It's, it's the love that had filled her heart with stuff. Don't look back. Don't look back. Oh, all of us, we live in such a materialistic day, don't we? We have so much stuff. And, we, and this stuff's okay in its place, but it easily crowds a lot. I find it. I like the I like the cell phones. I like I like those kinds of stuff, and so do you. And in themselves, they're not wrong. You can use stuff for good or for bad, and the stuff can make you a slave to it and all that. The stuff is so filled. Lot's wife, and Jesus said, "Remember Lot's wife." I mean, when they took her by the hand, she longed to look back. She longed for the life. She longed for the stuff. Incidentally, they lost some of their kids. Did you notice that? The two. The two girls that came out were virgins, right? They were two virgins, but they had some others that were married. I mean, they had sons-in-law. They thought Lot lost his marble. He'd lost his testimony. Because when he said, came to that night, went, blah, 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 you know, the Lord's coming out in danger, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what are you, drunk? He had so lost his testimony in his own family that his daughters who were married perished in their families. And the two virgins that he, crazily, I still can't get, he offers to the men there, I have two virgins. You know, like, what's that? That's for another day. <laughs> wow. Remember Lot's way. That's a message for me, a message for you. She looked back longingly because her heart was full of everything the world had to offer. And Jesus calls us to remember her. Jim Elliott, that wonderful missionary who gave his life uh, uh, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. I hope that, I hope you think about that. He is no fool 
to give what he cannot keep. You cannot keep your stuff, your wealth. You know, man heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it, right? That's the Ecclesiastes, you know. We heap it up. We pile it higher. We look at those statements. We look at our blah, 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 blah. For what? And then our kids may fight and never talk to each other again. What a terrible thing. Think about that. Did I say that before here? Do your giving while you're living so you're a knowing where it's a going? <laughs> that, uh, that rings true in my heart. It does. And I hope it's in yours. Remember Lot's wife. He's warning. Jesus is warning us against having a sinful, selfish attachment to worldly things. When he comes, don't bother getting your things. You know, when he comes, Lord, let me grab my bank book. No, won't need your check. Oh, no, no bank card? You know, like, no, no Visa bank card. Don't want... And then the great divorce in verses 34 through 39. How sad are these words? I mean, the great divorce is C.S. Lewis's title of his book. I'm not talking about marriage here. I'm not talking about this. Divorce means separation. He's talking about the separation of the righteous, the redeemed from the lost. Well, that's the great divorce forever. And when he says in 34, I tell you, Jesus speaking, in that night, there will be two in one bed. See, a, look at that, a husband and wife. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding and working together, side by side, workmates, office people, whatever. One will be taken. One was and the other left. And they said to him, where? And I would understand this. Where are they taken to, Lord? I think this, that's important to understand you know, is this the rapture or is this the, at, the end of, at the end of the tribulation period? And the Lord says to them, where the corpse is, it's, it's a little bit of an expression of that day, where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. You know, uh, dead bodies, you ever see the western at the, at the uh, you know, the bad uh, wa drinking water? <laughs> and they die there and the vultures are like, you know, they don't, they don't cir circle living things. So he's saying at, they're going to, where are they going? place of death. And so they're taken away and separated forever. How sad, how sad in this great final separation of all people forever to have to think about a family member that's separated forever. One that you enjoyed even in marriage and sleeping side by side. That happens and in the home and the family and ones you work with. Wow. Wow. Well, Jesus... When Jesus returns, it will be too late to be saved. Too late. Too late. Too late. Well, lessons for life, and we're done. Number one, there is an expression, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Or the other one, my mother's, a stitch in time saves nine. I'm never really sure what that meant, but, <laughs> but the idea is what? Uh, be prepared, right? Do it ahead of time, or you're going to have a bigger... Do, 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 you're going to be stepping in or you're going to be in trouble. Well, uh, to announce the prevent, it's, it's a call to prepare, to be ready. This is especially true in eternal matters, isn't it? It really is. To be prepared, to be ready. Have you received Christ as your I would love to talk with you, pray with you. Call me this week, email. I'd make an appointment, spend some time to show you from the Word how you can know Christ the Lord is your Savior. For someday soon, soon, maybe today, without warning, where that lightning bolt come from? The, the upward call's going to come, and the Lord's going to take his church home. And, and uh, I believe in the pre-trib uh, that the seven years 
of, of hell will be poured out on the earth with Antichrist, and there'll be a great many Jews saved, and there'll be this coming at the very end of that. We will come with the Lord, the redeemed, and the joining together, but the judgment of the lost will be forever forever in that great divorce. Number two, be encouraged for one day when Jesus returns, all wrongs will be right as we enjoy the kingdom of Christ. In that day, it will all work out well in the end. Don't we hate, don't you hate uh, uh, movies? They say the Japanese, I don't know if this is true, they don't like movies that end, end happily. You know, don't you, don't you, do you ever yell at the TV, you watch a movie and it ends really like, What? What? You mean they're not all smiling at the end? You know, we sort, it's sort of a Western mind, mindset. I think it's part of a Christian remembrance of truth that it works out well in the end. We go like, if the good guys all get blown away at the end and all of a sudden the credits start coming on, we go like, I want a refund. You know, like, I want a refund. Well, then that day it will forever work out. The best is yet to come, really. Number three, remember Lot's wife. Work on that. Memorize that. If you work on that, you got to say, I've memorized the verse today. You know, I memorized. <laughs> so I like the long ones, but the short ones. Remember Lot's wife. Remember what that means. Guard your heart while you live in the world so that the stuff doesn't fill up your heart. You only have so much capacity. Fill it up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Or one day you're going to leave everything behind. So am I. Use it for him. Remember, it's not yours to keep. Yours to use. Remember the stewardship teaching. Be a giver, live to give. And finally, share the gospel with others, especially those near you, for the day of separation is coming. Your family, pray over them, your friends, your neighbors, your workmates. Those, I don't believe God makes an accident in saying, well, I didn't know Bill was going to live next door, or I didn't know Mary's going to be in my office or in the shop. Or No or in my, on my basketball team, or this. No, God has a way of orchestrating all the, see God in the details. See God in the details. Be prepared. Oh, be prepared. When the Lord comes, I want every one of you to be right next to me. We're going. Okay? I don't want to look and say, where, where, where is he? You know, that's a, for a true shepherd, under shepherd, that's a haunting thought. And I pray for you. I do. I do, Lord, be prepared. Lord, thank you for this text. Oh, even so, come quickly, Lord. May we live in a way that's prepared, always ready. Vigilance is the cost of freedom. Vigilance is the cost of holiness and service. Help us, Lord, to learn how to live here and now wisely. But may our hearts be in heaven, and if that's so, our treasure will be there. And oh, we pray for that. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.